But the response is, why eerie? Like, that's too good for us. You know, nothing like that should or would happen here. If you attempt it, it'll fail because we're just eerie. What is up, my friends? Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Coworking Weekly Show. As always, I'm your host, Alex Hellman, and today I'm very excited to be creating something specifically for those of you that are in smaller cities and towns. We talk a lot about how coworking works in the big major cities, but as great as coworking in big cities is, it's not the same in smaller cities and towns around the world. Today's guest is hailing from one of those small cities, Erie, Pennsylvania, and his name is Sean Fedorko. Sean's the founder of a coworking space in Erie called Radius Cowork. Sean's been reading my newsletter for a while, reaches out for advice from time to time, and then shared a TEDx talk from Erie, Pennsylvania, where he's based and where he started his coworking space, about some of the stories of what's happened when coworking works and how it works in a smaller city. And I knew I just had to get him on the show. So today we've got Sean on as a guest. He's going to be telling a little bit of his backstory, how he started Radius Cowork in Erie, Pennsylvania, how the community came together, what strengths, what regional strengths a place like Erie has, and maybe it'll sound familiar to places like where you are. This is a super inspiring conversation. I am really, really excited to share it with you. And I know that there's a lot that you can learn here. So enjoy what Sean's got to say. Take some notes for yourself. And maybe this will inspire you to reach out to me. Shoot me an email, alex at indiehall.org or reach out to me on Twitter at Alex Hillman because I want to hear stories like this. I want to hear about how people are making it work. I hear a lot from people telling me why co-working can't work in their place and honestly, people will always come up with a reason that something won't work and truthfully, when I started Indie Hall in Philadelphia, which again, fifth largest city in the country, people told me it would never work here. So I want to hear from the people that are making it work, how you're making it work, what challenges you had to face along the way because I think you're going to see that they're pretty similar no matter where you are in the world and see what we can do to share that with other people and inspire them to do the same. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. I'm very, very excited for you to meet Sean Fedorko. Hey, Sean, welcome to the Coworking Weekly Show. Hey, Alex. Uh, thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. I was super excited to get you on the show today for a couple of reasons that we're going to get into in just a minute. But before we get there, I would love for you to talk a little bit about yourself and what what's your background? How did you come to be the person who runs a co-working space in Erie, Pennsylvania? Sure. Uh, yeah. And, and excited again to, to follow up on a conversation that we really began you know, years ago over social media and now it's come to some great fruition. My, my background is... Uh, as a political scientist, well, working on my PhD, I was really not enjoying the isolation um, and the lack of efficacy in my work, but I really did enjoy policy work. So I said, you know what, I'm done, I've got my master's, I'm gonna go work in DC. I packed up some bags, went to DC with, with nothing but a couple phone numbers of friends, and I was there for, for about a year, working some contract gigs, policy analysis, but never really, never really taking a route. The places I found somewhere to work uh, were coffee shops and then eventually discovered co-working. And so that became my place to meet other professionals and try and, and build myself up. Uh, my work was in telecommunications policy. The, the policy field I had always studied and worked in was technology and specifically telecommunications. And I was offered a position back in my home state here in Northwest PA with the Technology Council in this region, just a six-month contract to evaluate uh, the sustainability of the organization. And what really excited me was that there was a local company, VelocityNet, and they were deploying essentially Google Fiber, fiber network throughout Erie, Pennsylvania, the city that their headquarters is based in. 
And that's happening in like maybe 10 cities in America at the time where a locally owned telecommunications company is deploying a fully fiber triple play service. And I said, I'd love to get on the ground there. Came here and there was no co-working space, which I thought would be where I located my headquarters where I did my work. And so uh, I laughed for a day and said, I can't believe no one here knows about this. Uh, we started building a community of other people that wanted to locate together and, and we, we started to kick it off here. Now you said something, you said it very quickly and very subtly, but it's very important that your first step was to go out and, and find some other people who wanted to actually be together and it was not to go and go lease a space. What made you choose that direction? You know, I, I, when I came to Erie, I wanted to go into a co-working space because I had experienced that value, but that value was, was the people. I, I actually was not interested in starting and owning and running a co-working space. I was interested in being in a co-working space with people. And so we had to find the people that, that wanted that as well. And it was actually only by accident through the process of, of building it that myself and my co-founder, Bill Scholes, ended up running it. We, we actually just wanted to work in one. Is Erie where you're from or just Pennsylvania is where you're from? Erie is where I'm from. Talking about Erie as a, as a place, as an ecosystem, as a community, how did you remember it? What did it feel like when you came back? What was there? Maybe what wasn't there? So Erie, Erie is a really incredible city. First of all, it's the, the only city in the East Coast, in, in an East Coast state, that uh, is sort of straddling that divide between uh, New England and the Midwest because it sits right beneath the Great Lake. So it's only part of Pennsylvania that touches a Great Lake, only part of the East Coast, Northeast area that uh, acts as this corridor funneling everything from all of the, the, the New England states into the Midwest. But the city itself, a city of about 100,000, greater metro area county of about 300,000, and it was, I mean, it is the definition of a Rust Belt town. I just tweeted a picture of the, uh, the, of the window I'm looking out having this conversation with you. And it is brick and steel. Uh, it is you know, train tracks and smoke towers. And the city has struggled for years to sort of transition out of it. And I remembered that when I left. I remembered sort of decaying brick buildings um, when I left this city. And I remembered layoffs from, from big manufacturers. And so I was gone for years, and I, I thought that I would only be coming back on a stint. Uh, I would see family and friends, and then I'd leave again. But what I discovered when I came here was that in the intervening years, all these web and marketing companies had started and grown and flourished. Uh, a small print journal, an alt-weekly, had started and grown and flourished and in ways that were really intellectually challenging to the community. Many small businesses have started to get off the ground and they were run by the people that I graduated high school with who left and then got some experience and talent and came back. So the city, when I returned, was experiencing and is still, still in the juvenile phase of a really profound entrepreneurial uh, revolution as it shifts its economy to much more modern, uh, creative, even new advanced manufacturing sectors. And I mean, what you're describing honestly reminds me of a lot of the smaller cities and towns that I visited, not just here in the States, but in Europe and even in some parts of Asia, where it's a lot of the things that you describe. It's the people who left and maybe got some education or got some work experience, got some other elements of the world. This is one of the, I think, one of the most interesting components of, you know, reduced costs of travel and just like a general greater awareness of the world around us. Being able to come back to a city that we have some direct ties to 
And maybe somebody who was not from Erie would not have seen those things. Because you mentioned, you know, you not just noticed these companies, but it was some people that you had grown up with. And I think it takes someone potentially from the place to see see the city for what it really is and what it can be. And, and someone who's coming to that city from the outside is, is going to have a tougher time seeing in. So I, it's really interesting to me for, to hear you describe like what that looked like at that first uh, sort of return impression. So you already had a sense that there was some flourishing going on, just no co-working space. Was, it, was there other stuff that was missing or was it really just that, you know, I want a place to go and there isn't a place with other people in it that I, I want to be around? There were certainly elements of what we think of like a thriving uh, modern economy that were missing. So, you know, the branding and the marketing was really weak. The uh, conception of business development was uh, not particularly aggressive or, or ambitious. We lacked really a, a strong software development community, even though every manufacturer here is employing one or three software developers that are running their ERMP systems and their CRM and developing oh, all their technologies. Um, but a lot of the, the community elements that bring those people together, like a monthly entrepreneurs meetup wasn't happening. There'd never been a startup weekend. There was no dev monthly meetup. And now much of that stuff has been put in place over the last two, three years. So it wasn't just missing a co-working space, you know, it was missing a, a lot of the elements of a, what we think of as thriving, rebounding communities, but they were just getting started and now they're getting their legs. Now they're taking strides. You know, so much of what you're saying really feels familiar and sort of zips me back in time to the feeling that I had when, and granted, I wasn't returning to Philadelphia as, you know, someone who was raised here, although I, I grew, did grow up in Eastern Pennsylvania, but that feeling of, some of the pieces are here, but there's nothing bringing people together and sort of, you know, scratching my head and going, well, well, why is that? And I'd say one of the, the biggest differences between what, what you're experiencing and, and what I was experiencing at the time was, if anything, I didn't ha I had no prior experience of actually feeling it myself in other cities. It was more of a something feels off. So I'm curious. One of the things that I ran into early on in Philadelphia is a sense of pride. Um, there's a very strong anti-outsider mentality. This is more historically true than, than presently. And I'm curious if that's something that is consistent with other Rust Belt cities like your own. Um, oh, Alex, this, so it's fascinating the way you framed that because I would have never expected that to be the case in Philadelphia. Oh, big we, time. We have an equal but opposite problem. So here, it's not a strong sense of pride and resistance to outsider mentality. It's an extraordinarily deep-rooted sense of shame and inadequacy. He, and, and this is actually one of the other TED Talks, which I uh, have fallen in love with and have promoted more than even my, my own, because I think it's a better message. So in Erie, the most common thing you'll hear when somebody says, hey, we're going to implement this great new idea, is not a resistance because some other idea that's better established won't give way. But the response is, why Erie? Like, that's too good for us. You know, nothing like that should or would happen here. If you attempt it, it'll fail because we're just eerie. And overcoming that has been the, the biggest hurdle. People don't necessarily uh, jump on board to support a new idea because of the perception that we'll fail at it. We're not good enough for it. It's, it's, not, gonna, it's not gonna survive because you know, we're just eerie. So not a sense of pride, but a sense of shame 
that has hobbled some of the ambitions and some of the projects um, that have been attempted in a town like this. And I think a lot of Rust Belt towns have that, that mentality, that sense of inadequacy. I'm curious if you have any idea what gave you that confidence that, that you'd be able to do it enough to, enough to even consider trying to get somebody else on board. It's really hard, I think, for a lot of people to break ground with a product or with an idea that uh, no one else has adopted yet, but they have an extraordinary faith and belief in. And th that wellspring of, of confidence is really impressive. F for me, it, it was simply a matter of, man, I, I've been part of, a part of this elsewhere. I know people are hungry for this. Maybe all I have to do is, you know, show them what it tastes like. And once they're satisfied, they'll be believers as well. So there was a strong show, not tell kind of approach to saying, you know, I can tell you about this all day long, but let, let's actually just let's do it. Let's do it together. You're invited. Yeah. In fact, so we started with with like 15 members um, the day, you know, the day we, we got a place. Um, we started with 15 members and we probably at the time could have accommodated up to like 20 so the, you know, the, the, the facility we got really was kind of appropriate to our size. Um, we weren't anticipating being huge. And I don't think I knew most of those guys more than two weeks. We met, we met a bunch of times, we got dinner, we got coffee, you know, we were, we were all really on board for the idea. And everybody had that same response of, yeah, I, I get this. Like, I'm one of the ones that's gonna go in, go in on it with you. Now, how do we tell 30 other people? So yeah, once, and once we started putting it together, we just sort of lived it. And we also had a great opportunity where we could just shape it to be anything we wanted, whether we focused on a particular industry segment or uh, whether we you know, relocated to a different part of town, all of that was on the table. And so because we were building it together and shaping it together, we, you know, we, we got to show ourselves what we would need. What did those conversations sound like? What were you actually talking about what were you hearing from other people? Were there conversations that seemed more effective with connecting with people than others? Uh, I would love to be able to give our listeners some concrete examples of yeah. what a productive conversation with people who were unfamiliar with this in this environment that, that they'd be like, yeah, that does sound like something I'm interested in. How, how did those conversations actually go? So uh, a lot of the conversations began uh, everybody in Erie is isolated, they're under-resourced, they're resource-strained, so the community has few resources, and then the individual is limited in their ability to, to access and then make wise purchases for their resources. And Look at these examples in other cities, look how less expensive it is. And that's what perks people up, and they say, well, hey, everybody universally likes the idea of paying less. It, that is like the first two minutes of the conversation, because you don't have to say anything about it. Then the next 58 minutes of like that first hour lunch or something, you're talking about, yeah, but listen, listen to what this can do. Like you're going to be able as a new web development firm. And this is one of the, the, the groups that joined us, three people who are a web development firm. They had a sales guy, a business development guy, and one developer. And you're going to be able to sit with other developers. And once the developer heard that, he was, he loved it and was on board, right? Because for him, his decisions about how to work and, and how to operate didn't have much to do with the financial part of it. He wasn't the business development guy. What he cared about was the fact that he was the only developer in this brand new web development company and he had no one to talk to or work with that they, he could bounce ideas off of. And so what you end up doing is contextualizing for each individual person. Look, this is how this is important to you. 
you know, you're, you're a remote worker. The most important part of this for you is that you're not going to be alone anymore. Uh, and that, that was a huge component of bringing in, I think, three or four remote workers in the beginning was they had thought, and this is uh, one of the examples I use in my TED Talk is Andrew. And he had said, like, I'd given up on ever being part of a team. And so while nobody here is on Andrew's business team, we are his team in that when he needs ideas or conversation or just wants to get lunch, we're there for him. So it's, a, it's about finding out what people individually need. And I think that's one of the most important points of a co-working space is it's not about a value proposition that you put out in an advertisement. It's about having a lunch or a dinner or a beer or coffee or something with everybody that you think would be really benefit and really enjoy being here and you would enjoy working with and helping yourself articulate to them why this helps them. Was there anything that you tried and specifically did not work? We, we ran into all kinds of nuances where people didn't necessarily want to change their lives in what some of us believe to be imperceptible ways, but which they believe to be enormous challenges. And I think what's been telling is that over time, as they've learned more about what co-working is beyond just an initial pitch before anywhere even exists, as they've heard more and more stories and they've met friends who have been there, a lot, a lot of those people have come around and joined it a lot now that they've come in. Convincing a landlord, for instance, about something weird like this might be a challenge in, in a smaller city compared to maybe a bigger city where people think that landlords already understand this and get it. What we found was that the community, particularly people who have resources like landlords, there was an overwhelming show of support once we had the people, you know, in a, in a bigger city, the difficulty is that real estate's wildly expensive and landlords want to know that they're going to make more mo money on this, but they also want to know that they're going to make more money than whatever their alternative cost is, right? Or whatever their opportunity costs, who else they could rent to. So co-working has that challenge in, in a big city, but in a city like, like Erie in a Rust Belt town, where real estate is actually in a, a, a pretty vast surplus, especially in the urban core, where redevelopment hasn't hit yet. We actually had a really easy time. We approached a lot of landlords who were pretty eager for the idea. And one of the big reasons is we bring in not only our right now 50 some members, but all the people that are meeting with them. Um, and that's everybody from the college student looking for a, a first gig to the CEO of a company that's hired them on a contract. We also bring in tons of people for uh, events that we do because we're not just about serving our members, but we're about serving the community. And so our landlords recognized a pretty great opportunity to activate space in their buildings. And that's exactly what we've done and, and the relationship we've established here in the Renaissance Center, the uh, tallest building in the city, now we're on the ninth floor, is we act as a space that draws people in here, shows them the possibility of the building and, and hopefully helps them get a start and, and plant some roots in the city. That's really, really cool. I, I, this, I, this idea of being an attractor, I think, is, is a big deal. And I think some folks have started talking about it, but, but I don't think there's enough really well-documented examples of the, the kind of detail that you were talking about, of it being attractive for other, other businesses, for being inspiring for other businesses. So I'm curious what other kinds of examples have you seen evolve that maybe are unique to Erie? You know, maybe the flip side of that question you were talking about earlier, the why Erie? Are you getting better at answering that question and saying like, this is why Erie, these are the things that we're good at. And, and what are some of the stories that, that you're seeing that, that maybe you're starting to illustrate that? Some of our early members, um, one of them in particular, Menagerie Studio, they went from being a one-year-old business with no location, coming into our space 
and just falling in love with both the building and with what was available here, which is great office space, great photography and videography space. They're a, a photography and videography studio and 100 down, 100 up symmetrical fiber internet. For them, all of this was, was crucial. Well, they're only with us for three months and then they secure their own offices here in the building. But they have remained members because they come down to the space, they have their meetings here, they get their coffee here. Uh, and they've just doubled their space this year. So they, they moved into their location, they're there for a year, then they double it and they added two new employees and those employees became members. And so the great advantage of activation spaces like this is that people want to stay engaged and they're able to because they're able to remain proximate. And, and the developer, of course, the, the landlord loves this because he's growing a, a community of tenants that don't want to leave his location, but don't want to leave each other either. Uh, we, we had another company, uh, We Create Websites. They were the three guys that started as a web development company, the, the one developer I mentioned earlier. And by the time they had been here for about uh, uh, 13 months, they had three additional people and they moved into a space downstairs and remodeled and remain engaged. We've had a, a two companies that received a startup investment and they moved across the street to the local technology incubator, but still come over here. Um, so that, that proximity, that community is so important but also in a city like this, the ability to transition quickly to you know, some new improved, maybe material facilities, but still stay engaged in the emotional and professional community. What is, what's going on on a day-to-day -day at Radius that people are connecting in a way that even when they no longer need that specific place, whether it's because they've moved to another floor or across the street, what are what are the actual things that are happening on a day-to-day -day basis that are making people want to come back? And I'm asking this because there's a lot of folks out there that, that listen to this podcast and read my newsletter and ask questions literally every single week. And they seem to really struggle to figure out what it is that needs to happen to make people be connected to this. It's sure. it's not enough to just have people in a room. I think some people are finally coming around to that reality. So what is it beyond people co-locating in a room that is building and allowing these bonds to be built that has that is sticky enough that somebody's willing to move into a technology incubator across the street but still come back to spend time. That, and I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll give some really deep context to that. So so, uh, an example of how that happens here at Radius is we were really intentional about how we built our cafe. It's basically like in the middle of everything. It's this intersection and it's got one big giant you know, pub table. And around that, we've got all the office supplies. So if you want office supplies, you've got to come through the cafe. It's attached to two of the call rooms and meeting rooms. So if you want to go in or out of them, you got to go through the cafe. If you're coming from our, our, our area where all our desks are, you're, you're walking into the cafe. One of the exits and entrances is there at the cafe, headed to the classroom, we go through the cafe. And so what happens is somebody gets up and they make coffee and they start to grind our beans. But then when you hear that grinder, somebody who's sitting at their desk thinks, oh, yeah, I'll have a cup of coffee. And they may not even know who's in there, but they know that coffee is our culture and we, we have coffee together. Uh, and they'll get up and they'll go chat. And over the course of, grinding beans and waiting for water to boil and going through a slow brew Chemex, three or four more people will walk through the room. And that conversation may catch them, or it may not. But we've created a lot of the elements that are kind of like the kitchen at home, 
where, you know, this is where I'm not doing any other thing than sitting here looking to, to talk to somebody or to do something together. You know, we're not watching a TV. We're not in our office working on a computer. We're not exercising. We're not doing anything like that. We're just here to talk to each other. And that by separating that space, uh, we've had, you know, menagerie come down, those, those videography people, and uh, be in there brewing coffee to make a, a, a French press to carry up to their office. And uh, a guy's name, uh, Brian, who uh, works at one of the investment firms here in the city, he was trying to pull together a, a weekly pitch practice for uh, small companies in the city. And he wanted to live stream it. And he ran into them in the kitchen and they ended up in a 30 minute conversation about what cameras to use, what services, how to do it, what it would cost. And so while Brian just stopped by to get coffee that day, wasn't even working here that day, he walked out with a, a solution to a problem, but he also had met one of their new staff and, and had got better engaged in the community and enjoyed a cup of coffee with them. And it's that kind of trust building conversation and relationship. And sure, there are solutions there, but there are also people there. You know, that's what brought you to the table. The trust relationship is what brings them to the table. Um, but what they walk out with is, of course, something much more important, friends and solutions. I'm wondering, as you've strung together these stories, are you starting to come up with a thesis? Does your community have a thesis of a, a different kind of answer to why Erie? What is it about a city like Erie that makes people want to work the way that they're working now? And one of the observations I want to make of you, and I, I have to believe this plays a role in the success that you guys have had so far, is you're a storyteller. You're a good storyteller. And I think being intentional about capturing and telling the stories of a region is a really big part of these ecosystems, both to help the ecosystem itself thrive. To, you know, it's a thing that will attract people to your co-working space. Instead of talking about the resources you have in the kitchen, you tell a story that's in the kitchen. I think that matters. You know, I haven't considered that, that question in that way, but I, I think as I think about it now, the answers for why Erie, that a lot of Erie has struggled to apply, have centered around like economic answers, right? We look at Pittsburgh and we're constantly envious of, the community is envious of this meds and eds, right? You built a story that guided your decision making. And that, that story happens to be, in Pittsburgh's case, you know, economic in, in, at face value. In Erie, I think what we're discovering is our why Erie is very much about um, personal relationships, about, about community. So I think if you ask people, why Radius? You know, if we asked Jessica, the, the owner of Menagerie, why Radius? Or if we asked, you know, Matt Silva, who's a CTO of a, a, a company here in town, who, who he, he was our first customer on day one, you know, why is he still coming back over? I think he would say, because of the people that are here, because of the conversations I'm having. And so instead of the community in our at least co-working space answering why Erie with, oh, because we have this particular economic opportunity or because we have this particular competitive advantage, we're saying because the, the one thing we absolutely could not get no matter where we moved was the relationships we have with these 30 or 40 or 50 people who are also, we recognize, our peers in taking risks and in committing to this city 
And there are partners in that. I think that is maybe becoming our why eerie. And I'm only really thinking about that answer right now. I think it's a really good answer. And it's it's fun to hear you articulate that. Another sort of observation I've made about multiple parts of the story is how often uh, there is a we at play. Uh, those early gatherings and getting the place set up and organized and, and those conversations. There's, there's, there's always a we at play versus an I or even a they. The, my point is not so much that there is a we amongst the members, but there's also a we of you amongst the members. It sounds like you, you view yourself as an integral part of that community. You came from this from the very beginning, wanting to be a member versus wanting to be an operator. Now you find yourself in, in the, the shoes of someone who gets to do both. And actually, maybe that's something worth talking about. What is the difference when you come at this wanting to be a member, but you also have the sort of operator role that you have to put on? How do you, how do you juggle that? Wanting to do both of those has actually incentivized us to seek a lot of solutions. So I want to be more of a member. I want to transition more to doing my own work, which won't involve the work of just running a co-working space. It'll involve something entirely different. But the other thing I really like is because I'm, I'm really just a member, right? Like I'll go into a room and I have a meeting or I'll, I'll have to run an errand and I'll leave. Uh, a couple of the members will just sort of automatically go sit near the door so that when somebody comes in and they're looking for where the meeting room is because they have a meeting with one of the members here and they're not a member themselves, they're you know a client or a guest, uh, somebody could say, oh, it's just over there, you know, just walk down that way. Um, so I think we've built a pretty cool culture of people understanding that you know, I, 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 yeah, you know, Sean and, and Bill, we kind of run the thing, but there are plenty of times where Sean or Bill are doing their own other work. I'm curious if you have, have an idea of where that culture has come from, because like, where do you it, set that expectation? How is that even possible? You can't write it on like a, a stone tablets and put it on the wall. Um, you can't like build it into your terms and conditions. We, we think that the only solution is time. The, the expectation that like, so for example, everybody, you know, wash your own mug. Quintessential example. Yeah, the quintessential example. I mean, that doesn't really even happen all the time here, but we start setting the, hey, could you wash that? Like, oh, hey, uh, would, you get, would you get the mugs before you leave? Or, you know, we'll say, hey, could you, would you give me a hand? Could you take out that garbage? And as people get into the habit of doing those kinds of things, they, they realize that, they, yeah, this, this is on all of us. This is an opportunity we all have to improve the space. Yeah, I think that last example that you gave in particular where it was a, hey, can you give me a hand? I think people are reluctant to say, hey, can you do that? Although I think there's plenty of opportunities for that where it's completely appropriate. But that, hey, can you give me a hand with this? If there is a, a verbal tool in the toolkit to encourage and, and a lot of cases people, it's not that they're unwilling to do it, so they never even considered that they could. If, never, if you haven't been in an environment like this and you've never had that expectation, you know, just having a, an easy way to say, hey, I, I'm about to do this. Can you give me a hand with it? Is a subtle reminder of, hey, next time you could take the lead and ask somebody to give you a hand with it. You know, it's actually we've, we've run into a very interesting to a degree unexpected challenge in this space that we moved into at the end of last year where a lot of the small but infrastructural things like taking out the trash basically the building has a cleaning service and all of these other things that we used to use as those training wheels to get people used to looking after they're gone we don't have to worry about that any anymore which on one hand is great but on the other hand it's taken away some of those tools that we had to send the signal to send the reminder to people that hey this is your place too so we, we're working on 
figuring out how to translate that into new activities. It's good to hear that you're still struggling with, you know, adapting, you know, not, not like an ongoing struggle, but sort of a constant adaptation to that training process, because I, I don't want to sugarcoat it. I mean, it's, it's difficult, you know, and, and uh, I think any of my members listening now, uh, my, you know, my, my peers here would agree that there are certainly days where like nobody washed the mug and it's like, what the hell guys? Uh, or, you know, the, the garbage didn't get taken out the night before and somebody threw out and or somebody leaves the, the, the windows open in the winter and you come in, in the morning and it's like 60 degrees in the space. So you got to close them and turn up the radiator. It's like, come on, we're all in this together. But I mean, those are the foibles of daily life. And I think understanding that we're in a community where the expectation is that things are not always perfect, uh, but they're far better than they would ever be alone. Is, is different from the expectation that I'm in a place of service provision and I can yell at somebody for not having done something. Yeah, um, yeah, no, well said, I, I completely agree. What is success? What is success of a co-working space in a small city like this? And what is success for you, Sean? Like you got into this because you wanted to be around other people, you solved that problem, but, but you keep going. So clearly there's a bigger picture in this for you. So how do you define success for yourself in this context? And, and what is success of, of Radius and a co-working space like it in a city like Erie? Success for us is uh, the expectation that the community will continue, that the co-working space will continue. But small towns like this, real estate's cheap, right? You, know, you can't have, you can't charge $1,000 for a desk. Um, so you're not making a lot of margin there. There is no VC, so you're not bringing in a team that just got backed for 10 million. This is really just a community that can come together at some small economy of scale in any town, whether it's five people or 15 people or 50 people or 100 people. Um, and, and they can be self-sustaining. Uh, nobody's ever gonna line their pockets. You know, it does create a job or, or maybe 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 two jobs, depending on the size of your community. Maybe half a job, you know, if you're the one starting it and it's just 10 of you. But that becomes a foundation where when, a, if it's only 10 of you, when one more person in your town wants somewhere to go, six months down the line, then it's 11. And, and three months after that, it's 12. And six months after that, it's 13. And five years from now, everybody in your city is telling the story about how 10 people started your 100 person co-working space. What about resilience? I'm hearing a lot that's, about resilience. I, I, I think that's a, that's a much better word. Resilience, because you will have to continually adapt. Uh, again, you know, you're not building some giant piece of infrastructure that has already solved all the anticipated problems and can solve any new ones with money. You're building a community and just like a family, that community adapts by being resilient to changes and shock and uncertainty. Certainly we've done that here. Uh, you know, we've built new facilities and we've changed policies and we've agreed on new directions and, and started new programs, new events or something. But we've always, we're always kind of reinvent that and you'll always be doing that in any small community. So that's, that's a big one, be resilient. Being resilient. Yeah. And another thing that sort of leaps to mind for me is that I don't know if you're familiar with this notion of anti-fragility. You know, what you were describing about lots of the venture funded ecosystems are extraordinarily fragile because there's so many external dependencies in order for them to continue to thrive. They're they're brittle. Uh, the flip side of that is not just creating something that is resilient, but something that is anti-fragile, something that if a problem were to happen at Radius, those people would band together to figure out a way to solve that problem together better than any one of them, including you, could solve on your own. 
And that's the distinction between the resilience and the anti-fragility is that you're actually stronger in weak times because of the bonds that you've built. That's exactly it. Me, me personally, I, I want to uh, hire somebody to be a community manager and I specifically want that to be somebody that's only gonna do it for a year or two years, maybe just out of school. They, they've got tons of passion. They want a little, liber little bit of liberty to explore their own uh, potential maybe some project on their own, but they also really want to get engaged. And I'll be here, you know, I'm here. I want to move on to, you know, my own personal uh, endeavors, but I want to be sort of that, that guide myself and Bill and the community that have been here since we started, be that guide to bring somebody in who helps us smooth out the, the operations in the space, but also then we become a mentor to, uh, to help them move on to their own projects. So that, for me, that's success is when I have I did all that sort of shepherding of the community in the beginning, but then by the end of it, you know, we're all kind of shepherding our own community manager. We're we're their backup, and and that would will help the space endure, uh, because I think it's going to be constantly training new people and participating in the community. That's the the model that we've we've been running on since uh, about a year and a half in ourselves. And oh, really? Uh, I can't think of a more rewarding part of the process has been bringing in those folks who want to be here but don't have a way to be here, want to be a part of this but don't have they haven't figured out how they're going to do that yet. The uh, agreement has always been you come and take care of Indy Hall and Indy Hall will help take care of you. The the important thing from the very start for me was. If somebody's coming here because they want a job, they're going to treat it like a job. They're the, right. They have been up being the only person who has to be here, which is antithetical to everything that makes being here worth being here. So what can we do to create an opportunity for somebody to create the opportunity for themselves, <laughs> which is a, a little bit circular logic. But the, the, the point being, at the beginning, I did not define the role. And actually, each time we've hired to replace that person, there was some knowledge and, and sort of workflow transfer. And over time, obviously, the amount of knowledge transfer has grown. But there's still to this day, and we're looking to hire our next one very soon, the starting point is the goal is for you to leave Indy Hall better than you came, and we're going to do the exact same thing for you. That's awesome. that, that that allows us to frame a dialogue around what that person actually wants to accomplish, which, by the way, could, and in many cases, it's best if they don't know what it is. Uh, I feel like the people who have gotten the least out of this experience are the people who come in knowing exactly what they want to get out of it versus the people who kind of like yourself were a, a bit of an explorer. And they're like, I, I don't know how this is going to work, but I do know that by being a part of it, everything's going to be better. That weeds out lots of folks who were really just looking for a job. Um, yeah. But it's a powerful, powerful magnet for the person who is going to do what I believe you're describing you actually want them to do, which is to essentially walk around and take some stuff off your plate. I actually, I'll go back and I'll link it in the show notes and I'll send you the, the, um, the link in the chat after this as well. But I did a podcast episode about how I went about hiring that first person and it might be full of some uh, useful tips for you since that's something you're, you're thinking about now. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, for somebody who is in a smaller city, whether it's a Rust Belt city or otherwise, like I said, I know we've got folks all over the world. One of the most common questions I get is, how do I adapt this to my small town or city where people just don't get this? For the folks out there who are in that situation, what would you say to them 
if they're not already doing that they should try that if they're not already thinking they should think about what's your advice to someone who's in a city similar to Erie and wants to create the kind of ecosystem the vibrancy that you're talking about meet five people that really want to do it and then just find anywhere you can start any any physical place you can start and agree that you're going to adapt the space to the needs people need internet people need coffee you know people need a desk and you can create that in any number of ways you don't need a template to do it but what you're going to be finding out is how you want to talk with and interact with each other so be resilient adapt over time and uh, don't be afraid about starting cheap because you can grow into something better that's awesome advice sean well thank you for your time thanks for sharing the story i'm looking forward to catching up with with you and radius over the next uh, year or two as you go through this next shift into making it more resilient uh without you being necessarily at the helm uh where do people go to find out about you, about your community, where can people look for more online? Sure, I encourage everyone to go to radiusco.work uh, or follow any of our social media, Radius Co Work on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, we share a lot of what goes on in the Erie community, um, including uh, our, our now development group, uh, including a lot of events in the city. Um, but other than that, you can check out visiterie.com and see what's going on in this city. If anybody wants to come to town, I got a perfect place for you to work. That's awesome. Cool, Sean. Thank you so much. Uh, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks, Alex. Have a good day. Hi, I'm Sam. Hey, I'm Adam. Sam. Me. You. <laughs> I really like this show and I want to review the show. I know that it helps Coworking Weekly. I know that it helps Alex and you and Adam. He sounds handsome. I want to help out, but I just, I don't know what to say in a review. Can you help me? Yeah. I mean, you can say what you just said. I really like this show and I want to help it out. You should listen to it. You could get more detail. You could say, I really like this show and these are the ways that it has impacted my business or my coworking space or my members. You could say, I really like this show. Done. That's it? I mean, it works because I like the things you like. That's presumptuous. Yeah, it is. <laughs> That's all you have to do. Go to coworkingweekly.com slash iTunes. Leave us five stars and a positive comment like the one that Sam gave us. And that's it. You're done. Job well done. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.